have you ever uh, overheard a conversation? I want you to think about this for a second. Where, where someone's talking about you and they don't know that you hear. Has that ever happened? Right? That always happens in movies a lot where it's always like somebody's being real mean and they hear it. But I just mean like you, you hear somebody talking and they're talking about you and they don't realize you're there and you get kind of unfiltered information for just a second. Right? You get to hear what they're saying. And if they're saying something good or, or kind or gracious, it's wonderful. <laughs> if they're saying something not so great, then maybe it's, it's not so great. But we don't often get that where somebody we know, like it's this unfiltered information that we're hearing exactly kind of what they're thinking and what's going on. In fact, we, we don't do that uh, some, some of the times where we try to be polite or we try to temper things or maybe we do that in different ways. Actually, I was thinking about this idea and it reminded me of an old uh, Geico commercial. Uh, you remember the Geico commercials where the guy would say, can Geico really save you 15% on your car insurance? And then he'd say, uh, uh, this particular one, he goes, well, was Abe Lincoln really honest? And it cuts to this grainy footage and it's of Abe Lincoln. Uh, with his wife, and she's standing in front of a mirror, and she says, uh, "Honey, does this does this uh, dress make my backside look big?" And it cuts to him, and he goes, um, uh, uh, "He doesn't want to answer." And then finally, he goes, "Well, maybe a little bit." And she gets real mad at him, and that's it. But oftentimes, we don't do that, right? Like oftentimes, if somebody asks a question, we go, "Oh yeah, yeah, whatever." Right? We don't get that unfiltered information a lot of the times, or sometimes it's hard to know. If we are, if it's absolutely the truth or what it is, but if you overhear something like that, then you kind of get the unfiltered in a way, and that could be really wonderful, particularly if it's something good. And so I was thinking about that because in a lot of ways, that's what we're getting here as we get to John chapter 17. Jesus is going to pray, and he's going to pray to the Father, and he's going to pray for his disciples, and he's going to pray for us. Right? As you read through this, as you just heard what Adam was reading, he's talking about praying for those that are in the world and keeping them and protecting them and all these things that he's saying about his disciples. But then he gets down towards the end and he says, I'm not praying only for these, but also for those who will come to faith from their word. And he's praying for us, right? That's us. We stand in that line as the disciples go out and they make disciples and the word is spread down through time. And now we stand in that line. Jesus here is praying for us. And we're getting to overhear the heart of Jesus as he talks to the Father on our behalf. That's a pretty amazing thing if you stop to think about it. Now with Jesus, he's always saying what is true and everything that we hear. It's not like he only says it uh, if it's unfiltered. It's always that way with Jesus. We're always hearing the truth. But in this particular prayer, we get to hear the conversation of Jesus praying to the Father for us. And he says some really telling and wonderful and important things here that we need to consider. And so I want us to look at this passage here, and there's so much in this passage. Uh, I realize as we've been going through chronologically uh, Jesus' life, and we're taking big chunks at different times. We're going to look at this whole chapter today, and I'm just going to tell you from the get-go, we're going to have to leave some things, and we're going to miss some really wonderful things. But I would tell you, uh, 2015, I spent five weeks on this chapter, kind of overlaying it with the Lord's Prayer and the way Jesus teaches us to pray and what he prays here. And so if you want to go deeper in that, go back and you can listen to those. Those are there. And so a little deeper treatment there. But today we're going to look at it, kind of a big picture of what Jesus is praying. And there's three things that I want us to see that he's praying for us. First, he's praying for our holiness. Second, he's praying for our unity. And lastly, he's praying for mission. So holiness, unity, and mission. And I want to show you those three things that he's praying for here and why they're so important. And so it's so wonderful what he says. But I also want you to be thinking about this as we do. All three of them are so interwoven together. 
The three, these three big ideas that he's praying for, they all build on each other and they all go together and you can't really have one without the other and they'll all come together. Right? So let's start with the beginning with just him praying for our holiness. Before we jump in though, let me just remind you where we are. Uh, we've been chronologically walking through the gospels for almost two years now. We're getting right down towards the end. We are now hours before Jesus will be arrested and then crucified. This is late Thursday evening, maybe even getting close to Friday morning at midnight or somewhere around there. It's late into the evening and he's been teaching his disciples and he's telling them all these important things, right? And if you've been with us, we've looked at a lot of the different things he says and a lot of the things that he says in John 13 and 14 and 15 and 16, and now we get to 17, he's actually praying for a lot of the things that he's already told them. And he's praying those things for us. And so what we're seeing here is Jesus' very last words to his disciples right before he will be crucified. And as you see this, he's praying for his disciples and he has a heart for them. As you begin to see here at the beginning, as you look at John chapter 17, like verses 1 through 8, Jesus is talking about returning to the Father. He says, I'm going to return to the glory that I have with you before creation and I'm going to be with you and all these things. But then he turns and he starts to pray for his disciples. Because he says, I'm going to the Father and you're going to be, they're going to be here. And I'm going to be with you. And he's praying then for them and for us. And so I want us to look at what he prays here as he begins to pray for our holiness. And so pick up with me in verse 9. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So he's talking about believers, people that have put their faith in Jesus and those that are there with him. He says, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. And while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me and I've guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled But now I'm coming to you that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth, in the truth. Your word is truth. And so I want you to really think about what he's saying there. He's praying for our holiness. He's praying that we would be set apart to God in all things. And that's really what we mean when we start to talk about holiness and and what it means. Now, you may say, well, where does he say that? He doesn't say the word holiness in terms of us. But notice what he does say in the way he says it. He is praying for our holiness. Verse 11, holy father, keep them in your name. Right, so keep them connected to you, right? Just what he talked about earlier in John 15 about abiding in Jesus and abiding in him and staying connected to him. And it's the same thing here. And he's talking about keeping us in his name. But he says, Holy Father, keep them with you. Keep them in your name. And then you get to verse uh, 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And that word sanctify means set them apart. Have them be holy, right? That's really what holy means to be set apart. And so I want us just to think about that idea for a second, what it is that Jesus is actually praying for us and why he's so concerned with our holiness. And so if we just start with the big idea of what holiness means, it means other. It means to be set apart. God is holy because he is set apart. He is far beyond us in every way and in all things, in in all there is. That God is perfectly pure, righteous, 
just, loving, caring, every attribute we can give him. He's perfect in those ways, all the attributes of God, and he's the fullness of it. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. And as the one who created all things and sustained all things, he is set apart from us. God is not us. He is far greater than we are. He is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. And he's perfectly holy. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly righteous. And in all those things, what we could then say is God alone is God. Right? Uh, Dan Fitzpatrick, one of our elders, likes to pray, you are God and we are not. He, he likes to say that a lot. And I go, yes, he's right. We need to be reminded that God alone is God. That he alone is holy. He is set apart from all else. He is ultimately perfectly uh, the creator sustainer of all things. And as such, he's made us in his image after his likeness to know and to love him, to have a relationship with him. And because he alone is holy, because he alone is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He alone is the thing that can fulfill the deepest desires of our heart. We are made for him. And there's nothing else that can come and can stand in his place. Nothing at all. So Blaise Pascal famously said, if you know who Blaise Pascal is, he was a, a French mathematician and philosopher and a brilliant guy, but he was a believer. And he said, every single one of us has a God-shaped hole in our heart. And what he meant and what he said is there's only, there's this thing that we are created for and in, made in God's image to know and to love God. And God alone is the only thing that can ever fulfill that desire in us. God alone. And so God is holy and he is other and he is this one that is, is, we are made for. And he alone is the one that can fulfill this need in our life. And so when Jesus is saying, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Protect them, keep them close to you. Keep them seeing you as central in everything. Jesus is praying that we'd be holy, that we'd be set apart to God, that we would seek him in all things. And he's so concerned about our holiness because Jesus knows that the one thing that can satisfy the deepest desires of your heart is God and God alone. And so when Jesus is praying for us, he's praying for our best, I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. Sometimes we think about holiness as being this thing that we're, we're seeking and we're trying to be and we're trying to, to achieve and, and we want to be set apart and all these things. And it becomes like this, this uh, list of rules and things that we have to do and that we're seeking. But Jesus is praying that we would know the fullness of what we were created for in the Father. And he's praying that we'd be set apart to him in these ways. And he knows what is best for us. And he's calling out to the Father, keep them in your name. But I want you to think about the way he says this. And he's already said this before. There's a lot of connections back to everything he's been teaching in these last few ver- or chapters uh, of John's gospel. Right? Like when we looked at abiding in him. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. And he says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And he talks about abiding in him and you will have the fullness of joy that you're created for. But look here what he says in verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, Jesus saying, I'm coming to the Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And so Jesus is again talking about joy. And he's telling us, he's, he's, he's showing us that as we seek holiness, we seek being set apart to God, making our lives revolve around him, staying close to him in all things, that our greatest joy will be found there. 
I don't know about you, but I don't know if I often think of holiness in that way. Holiness leads to joy. But that's what Jesus is saying. And in fact, what he's teaching and what he tells us real clearly is there's a clear dichotomy in the world when you look at it. Look at what he says in verses 14, 15, and 16. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. If we're staying connected to Jesus, we're abiding in him. If, if we're set apart to the Father like he's calling us to be, to, to keep them in your name, Holy Father. He says, you are going to be out of step with the world. In a lot of ways, the world is going to hate you. And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. And the, the reality is we're either living in the world and the things of the world or we're living for the Father. We're living, abiding in Jesus. There's this dichotomy there. And what he says is, is when you're set apart to the Father and you're keeping your life in him, that's where your greatest joy will be found. And the hard part is oftentimes we don't think of it that way. Maybe I'm just speaking for me here. But I've thought about that at different times. When people talk about holiness. And I think of the Puritans. Right? You think of holy and I think of piety and I think of uh, demure and serious and stoic. And this is what it means to be a person of God and following these things. But then when you read what Jesus says here, he talks about sanctify them in your truth and father, keep them in your name and set them apart to you so that their joy may be fulfilled. That we'd have the fullness of joy that we're created for. And the truth is when I when I go in my mind to those types of of uh, thoughts about holiness, I'm looking at it backwards. I'm letting the world dictate the way I look at holiness. Oh, that's hard and I don't really want to do that. That would be difficult and all those kind of things. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. Being set apart to God, being holy is what you were designed and created for and the fullness of your life is going to be found being connected and staying close to God. See, the world has flipped it upside down and we so live in the midst of that that oftentimes we start to think that way. But the truth is, when we ignore God, we rebel against him, we sin, and we live in the world, and we're not staying connected to him, we're going against the way that we were made, and we will start to waste away. I I was reading this week in in, uh, Proverbs chapter, or I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 32. And in Psalm 32, David is writing about when he hasn't confessed his sin and he says, my bones waste away. And then he talks about repentance and what happens when I turn back to you to God and life comes and it comes in fullness. And it's like, it's a beautiful picture of even what Jesus is praying for us. When we're not connected to him and we're not seeking holiness and we're living in the world and we're ignoring God in it, we begin to waste away. But when we turn back to him and we stay connected to him in all the ways that he's called us to, that's where our fullness of joy will be found. And so Jesus knows this. And he knows this so clearly. And his heart is that you would have the fullness of joy that you're created for. And so he's praying for us that we'd be set apart to the Father. That we would truly seek holiness in our lives, to be set apart to him. That we would reorder all things around him rather than what the world says. And so the first thing he prays for us here is holiness. But before I move on to the next one, I just want us to think just real briefly how that begins to be cultivated in your life. And he says here, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
And a big part of that, as we seek holiness in our lives, is we let God's word stand over us. The deceitfulness of our heart and our emotions and our feelings and what the world tells us and what we're bombarded with will often carry us in a direction away from God. And we need his word to stand over us in all things. And we need to take thoughts captive. We need to take them through the lens of God's word. We need one another helping each other in that. But one thing I want you to notice that he says here, and I'll come back to this in a minute. But if you look closely, he says in uh, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I think sometimes we go, well, to, to pursue holiness, we need to retreat from the world. Right? I, I used to use this term derogatory uh, at different times, uh, holy huddle. We're going to get in the church and we're going to get in the huddle together and we're going to huddle up and we're going to protect each other and we're going to stay and we're going to keep all the bad out. Problem is the bad's already in us. We're sinful and it's already here and we can't be taken completely out of the world. But he tells us to be sanctified in your word and let the word stand over you. And so we're not to be taken out of the world. We're in the world, but not of it. But we're, we're going together, encouraging one another and pointing each other to the truth of God's word. And so I think of it as instead of retreating, beginning to, to look through everything through the lens of God's word. To be discerning. To see the world as it is and to be able to speak truth in it. I think of Deuteronomy 6 when it tells us about teaching your children as you go and as you sit and as you stand and as they're lying and as they're waking and all those things that are there, that that's what it looks like. That we let God's word stand over us in everything and at all times and in all ways. And so the first thing that he prays for us here is holiness. But then the second thing that I want to point out to you that he's praying for us, and it, and it comes throughout this, you see it for the first time in verse 11, but he's praying for our unity. He's praying that we would be one. Look at what he says in verse 11. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. He's talking about our unity in the Father, what we're created for, being set apart to God and having this relationship with God that we were made for. We were made to know and to love God and to live close to him. Trusting him in all things, but then we're, we're made to love one another. And so he's talking about us having this unity. And then he comes back to it in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's talking about those that will come to faith. That includes us, right? Anyone that has now come to faith, we stand in part of that. That they may all be one just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me. I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I am them and you and me, and they may be, they may become perfectly one. And so he says that multiple times. He's talking about our unity and coming together and what that looks like. And so I want us just to think about that for just a second. And I want you to think about the tie that that has with holiness, being set apart to God and making him central in everything. If God alone is the thing, right? And he is. He alone is the thing that you're created for. He alone is the thing that can meet the deepest desires of your heart. Or to borrow Blaise Pascal's phrase there. 
You have a God-shaped hole in your heart that only God can fill. And that's in every single one of us because every single one of us is made in his image and after his likeness and made to know and to love him. And that's true of all of us. It is the one need that all of us has that is the deepest need that all of us has. And so if we are going to have the unity that Jesus is talking about, the only way that that can come is if we are set apart to God. He is alone the thing that can bring us to the unity that we are created for. And so when he's praying for us to come back into that relationship and that they would be one as you and I, Father, are one, that God brings us back into the Trinity, the loving, perfect God that that uh, created out of an overflow of joy of who he is. He has perfect relationship and love and community in and of himself, and he chooses to share that with us. We rebel against him. Jesus comes to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, and he invites us back into that thing that we were made for. And that alone is the thing that will bring unity. God alone is the only thing that can bring us together in that way. And so I want you to think about the connection there. As we're set apart to him, and we come back into this relationship to him, that is going to be the basis of our unity. They have to go together. They can't be separated And so I want you to think about what that looks like and how that's possible. How can that ever be the case? And I want to share two things with you that I want you to consider. As we think about here, I hope if you're here, if you're a member of our church, if you're following Jesus, that you have said, I want to be set apart to God. I want to put my trust in Jesus and who he is. And I want to have that relationship with him. And so that means that we want to have unity together in Jesus. So how does that work? How can we ever have that? And the first thing is we go back to what he just says and prays for us. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is the truth. We have to be united together under the authority of God's word. Otherwise, we will never have unity. It has to be under what God has said and who he is and the way he's revealed himself. It's not under my ideas or your ideas, but we have to be able to all look to the same source. God and his word and what he's revealed to us. And it becomes the the part in which we we seek to grow together in that. And as we seek to grow together, we can both point each other to what God's word says. Begin to seek to live out of that. And how do we do that together? Now, that's not easy. That has its struggles and its hardships. Because the truth is, as we come to God's word, we all fail in different ways. And it's not easy to go, hey, this is what it says. And we're not doing that. And speaking the truth to each other in love, that's difficult. But if we don't do that difficult work of coming back to what God's word says and calling each other to that, we'll never have a true unity. Or if we just ignore parts of it, I don't want to say that. Well, then we're not unified anymore. And so we have to come together and say we are holding fast to what God's word says and we're letting it stand over us in all ways. We're coming to Jesus, not just as our savior. He is our savior, but he's also Lord of our life. And to be set apart to him means we're going to come under his authority and his word. We say all the time, we want to be about discipleship. And I define this. Oh, I say this almost every week. We define discipleship as growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. Every area of our life. And that comes back to God's word. And it has to be God's word and it stands over us. And so if we start to think about, well, what does that look like? God's word has to be our authority and our unity is around him and the way he's revealed himself. 
But the second thing I would say, if we're going to have true unity, is yes, it's around God's word, but we also have to be gospel-centered. It's a phrase and a term we use here frequently, gospel-centered. We've gone through our new member class. We talk about that and what we mean. Hopefully you've heard that before. But I want to make sure that we're clear on that when I say that. When we say gospel-centered, we mean gospel. We mean the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And we want that to be central in everything that we do. And I think the Bible teaches this, tells us this. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That if we don't understand how everything comes to fulfillment in Jesus, we don't get the big picture. We don't understand how God's working. We have to see things through the lens of the gospel to actually understand what God's doing. And that's true for every single one of us. And so I want you to think about what the gospel is and what that means. Sometimes we talk about the Bible and people talk about the Bible kind of being the gospel, like it's all the gospel. That's not true. Please hear me when I say that. That doesn't mean the Bible's not true. It is. It is God's word. He has revealed himself to us in it. It's all profitable for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training and righteousness, all of those things. But when we say the gospel, we mean the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We rebelled against God. We've been separated apart from God because of our sin. That's every single one of us, right? Sin entered the world and all men sin and sin spread to all men. Romans 5 gives us that picture very clearly. And so every single one of us is, is uh, uh, apart from God in our sin. His wrath, his holy, righteous anger rests on our sin because God is holy and perfect in every way. And so the gospel is the good news that God comes to us. Jesus, God himself, comes in the flesh to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lives the life that we haven't lived. He enters this world and he walks perfectly in communion with the Father. He obeys in everything. He shows us exactly what it looks like to trust God in everything, in every way, in all things. Jesus is perfectly holy, set apart to the Father. And then he comes to the end of his life and he deserves all the blessings of keeping everything that God ever said to do. But Jesus chooses to die the death that we deserve. And he lays down his life for us that we can be reconciled to God. He becomes our sin on the cross. Second Corinthians five says he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in him. We are made righteous because Jesus lived the life that we haven't lived and he died the death that we deserve and he does it for us. And when he raises from the dead, as he's crucified and then he raises from the dead, God puts his stamp of approval that Jesus' sacrifice is accepted. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he's done it. And because he's done it and we put our faith in him, he's going to renew all things. And he starts with you and your life when you put your faith in him. And he's going to renew all of creation. And that is the good news. That Jesus does for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. That's the gospel. That's the good news of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And so when we say that we're gospel-centered... Right. The gospel has to be central in everything. And I want you to think about how unity comes by us being gospel centered. It frees us as people to speak the truth to each other. Right. Because if we believe the gospel, 
we believe our righteousness is only in Jesus, you can come to me and tell me when I'm wrong. Right? Adam can say to me, hey, JP, I think you're off here. And I might get my feelings hurt, and I might get a little bit offended, but I go, you're right. And he'll remind me. And your righteousness is not in your perfect doing, but it's in Jesus and what he's done. And I go, oh, thank you, God. And he can speak the truth to me because I know my identity is in Jesus. And that's the only way that that can work. That's the only way that we can truly seek holiness together, even in our failures, because we come back to the gospel and we can continue to point each other to it. And so if we're really going to have unity, it has to be around the person and work of Jesus and the good news, the gospel of what Christ has done for us. And so we start to speak the truth to each other. And there's times when our feelings get hurt and there's times when that's difficult and someone calls you to repentance. But we can repent. We can't own our sin. We can't have true repentance because we know that Jesus meets us there and he forgives us and he continues to remake us from one degree of glory to another. And it's all what he's done. And that's the only way that we're ever going to have the fullness of that unity that God's created us for. It's the only way that we can truly pursue holiness in the way God's called us. And in fact, Jesus says that very thing right here in this text. Verse 19, he says, and and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Do you hear what he's saying? I set myself apart. I'm going to lay down my life that they can be sanctified in the truth. He's going to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And he knows that and he's even praying that. He's willingly choosing to do that for us. And so I want you to think about how that brings true unity. True unity. Why that has to be that way. How it all holds together in understanding the gospel. Every single one of us has blown it. Every single one of us has lost it all. We've ignored God in his world. We've rebelled against him. That's true of all of us. And the only hope that we have is in Jesus. And Jesus has done for us what we can't do. And as we see that, and as we come to that, do you see what happens? Instead of me going, well, I think I'm a little better than that guy over there. And I think oh, I'm not quite as good as him, but better than him. And all those kind of things, which brings division I see that the only way that I will ever be able to stand before God is because of what Jesus has done for me and nothing else. And that should bring me to a place of radical humility that I know I can't do it and it's only Jesus is doing. It's the only way that will ever work. And as we begin to see that and we understand that together, we turn and we see Jesus together in a new way and his glory grows And we understand the fullness of what he's done for us. And we're united in Christ. I know I know Jesus. And when you come to faith, you know you know Jesus. That you need him more than anything else. And we together then have a unity that is deeper than anything. Have you had that experience before? I don't know if I I, I get a, a blessing of being a pastor in this way because I've heard so many of your stories. And I know that to be true. I look around the room and I see all of you that I know, know who Jesus is. What a blessing that is. That you know him. 
And you know you're a sinner and you know that you need him. And I know him. And I know that I need him. And we now have this unity that is deeper than anything. I can't tell you how many times in my life that's happened where I've met someone and I find out they're a believer and all of a sudden it's like, we're together. Guy sold me a car about a year and a half ago down in Alpharetta. And we were talking and I got to know him. I talked to him on the phone a couple of times and I was about to go back. And I said to Joanna, I was like, I just really like this guy. And we came, I came back down to buy this car and we started talking and he asked me what I did. And I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, brother, why did you not tell me? I said, what? And he said, I know Jesus. And he started, he was from England. It's a black guy from England with this English accent. It was so cool. And Roger was started to talk and he, all of a sudden it was like, I went back and had lunch with him a week later. When we bought the car, he got in the car with me and Jed and Quinn were there and he said, I'm going to pray for you guys and I'm going to pray for God's blessing on you and protection as you're in this car and as you go. And it was wonderful. And we had this connection immediately because of who Jesus is. I went two weeks ago to the Oaks where we go and we, we do a service there. And I talked to Arch Hamilton. A lot of you have not got the blessing of knowing Arch because he's been over at the Oaks for a while now. But Arch is the oldest member of our church. Arch will be 100 on November 21st. 100 years old. Arch is older than I am, longer than I've been alive. Does that make sense? Right? I'll be, I'll be 47 on November 20th. He'll be 100 on November 21st. So 53 years older than me. What do I have in common with somebody who's 100 years old? Jesus. I love Arch Hamilton. I love talking to him. I love hearing what God's showing him and what's happening and the way he's... He said to me the other day about the Oaks. He said, I'm, I'm the old guy here and God's kept me around. And he said, I think my job is just to remind everybody where we're going and how good God is. And that's why he still got me here. And I love that. I have this deep unity with Arch. That's been the case uh, with a lot of you. We come from different backgrounds and different places. And then suddenly we have this unity together in Jesus. And that's the only way that that can work is it has to be centered on the gospel and who he is. And so we continue to remind each other of what Jesus has done and who we are in him. But then here's the last part of what Jesus prays for. And I want you to see how these build and they go together. Last part. Look at what he says in verse 20 to 23. One more time. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for those that have not yet come to faith. And that would include us in that because we had not come to faith yet, past. But I'd say even as we read that now, it's still praying for those that have not yet come to faith, right? So he's praying for those that will come to faith. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, and me, and I, and you, that they also may be in us. And then notice what he says here, so that... The world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And so two so that statements there and what Jesus says. We've been talking about the words that are used and the, the transitions as we think about in the equipping hour how to study the Bible. It's a big one there. He's saying, I'm praying for their unity and they would have this so that people would know that Jesus is God. Right? And so he's praying for those that don't yet know Jesus 
and he's praying for our unity. And then he's praying so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so I want you to think about the connection there. Right? He's praying for our holiness that we'd be set apart to him. He's praying for our unity that will only come in Jesus and the fullness of that. But that as we are set apart to him and we begin to live lives that point to who Jesus is and we have this unity together, we are going to be a testimony to the world of showing that Jesus is who he says he is. And I don't know if you think about that, but our holiness and our unity and our community together and the way that we operate and live is a way in which God shows the glory of who he is. We are called together to love one another. But part of the reason in which we're loving one another is to show the world what a healthy family of faith looks like so that they would see who Jesus is. And so I don't want us to miss that. He says here, I'm praying, Father, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them, that you call them to holiness, that you bring them unity so that the world would see who Jesus is. And so we get the opportunity and Jesus is praying for us. And really think about that. The very heart of Jesus for us. He's praying that we would show the world what God is like in the way that we love one another. That one of the greatest apologetics that God has given us is our love for one another to show the world of what he's like. Oh, that we would see that. Right? That we would pursue holiness. That we would be united in Jesus. But that we would be seeking to do so that we show the world what God is like and who Jesus is. Oh, that that would be true of our church, that'd be true of our relationships, that'd be true of us as followers of Jesus, that we would so love each other well, that God's love would be unignorable to the watching world. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that we are saved by grace through faith in what you've done for us. We thank you that we have unity in you. That what unites us together is that we have come into contact with the living God of the universe that has called us into relationship with you. And we thank you for saving us. We thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We thank you that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you caused us to become alive in Jesus. That it is your doing. By grace, through faith, we've been saved. We pray that we would live out of that reality, trusting you in all things. Give us opportunities to show what you're like to our friends and neighbors and loved ones, that we would so love each other well, that we would so seek to be set apart to you, that we would be a bright light in a dark world for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.